Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan in Mission, Kansas. After a recent move, so we're going to have to figure out a different catchy intro on that. We've got a lot to talk about, and it's all going to be draft-related, so let's get to the guys. He is going through his closet to find out, with the recent change on numbers on jerseys, if he can double up on any Chiefs players. Jacob Allen is here with us. How are you, man? Doing good. Uh, you know, excited for you on the big move. There's only a few life milestones left and then you're dead. Essentially, yes. He is going to go dig out his number 72 jersey and see if he can sidle in for Eric Fisher on the Chiefs. Sam Blecka is with us here. How you doing, bud? Uh, doing pretty well. Uh, as long as he remains being one-legged, I might be able to play us at his level. But <laughs> as soon as the Achilles even starts to reattach, I think it probably would be pretty noticeable. And I am Sean Deegan. I am trying to change the number on my birth certificate so that my age on the birth certificate matches how my body feels. Let's go on ahead and get to the topics here. We've got a lot to talk about, specifically when it comes to the draft. We're going to lead things off with one thing that may have some specific draft implications, and that is Tyron Matthew recently posted on Twitter about once the Chiefs uh, resolution they proposed to the NFL – which is that they allow for more flexibility with jersey numbers for different position groups. As of right now, each position group has a, a set allotted amount of numbers uh, for their groups, and you're not allowed to deviate from that. So, you know, if you're a linebacker, you're probably you're not going to get number seven in the NFL. Tyron Matthew being a safety, wears number 32, wore number seven in college. He recently posted on Twitter that he wants to change his jersey if this should pass and it's looking more and more like it will, that he wants to wear number 21 with the Kansas city chiefs. Anybody who has followed the chiefs knows that number 21 last year was worn by Bashad Breland. This has really kind of led to a lot of thoughts that Bashad's time in Kansas city is probably done. Whereas most pundits and analysts and people who really follow the chiefs closely thought that, Bashad was probably going to come back after, you know, again, another lackluster market for him. So we wanted to lead things off because this will kind of lead us into our draft talk here in just a minute. But I did want to get your guys' opinions here. Do you think that Tyron Matthews' jersey switch to number 21 means that Bashad Breeland won't be returning? And how does that make you feel about the cornerback group in general? Jacob, we'll come to you first here. Do you think Bashad's Breland's days in Kansas City are over at this point? It's tough to say. I would say, yeah, now if you're betting, you're going to want to bet against, against him coming back because it does seem like there was not an early targeting of him. Now, Breland has been a very late free agent signing both years. So I don't think that he's necessarily 100% out, but I think it does reveal to you that hey, he was not an initial early target. He's going to be an after-draft kind of signing guy. Now, Matthew getting 21, he could have worn 21 either way. They, The defensive backs get, you know, from the, the 20s to the 49s right now as it is. So it is kind of weird that he's deciding now he wants to switch over and honor Woodson. Uh, that was that's who he has said he's he's honoring but yeah just, it's like why, why are you waiting until now to do this but interesting all around but like I said I would bet against it and the reason the the Chiefs proposed this rule is because the Chiefs have a high amount of retired jersey numbers at 10 which 
if you want some fun trivia for yourself, just try to think to yourself, name any Chiefs number jersey that's retired, then go look up the list because I could come up with two. The rest were a mystery to me. Sam, what about you? Bashad Breland, do you think he's out in Kansas City? It's definitely pointing in that direction. I don't think, Matthew, if he, if, if he had any indication that Breland might be coming back, he probably would wait to make that announcement. If just to allow, I mean, even if they wanted to switch those, because Breland, I was looking, Breland was number 17 in college, which he could get if my dream happens, which is McCole Hardman is no longer a chief. So <laughs> if that happens, maybe the, the stars will align. Breland will go to 17. McCole Hardman won't have to worry about being on the team anymore. And then Matthew will be 21. But in reality, I, I'm assuming it's unless he gets signed late, it definitely is pointing to the direction. I don't think he's going to be back with the Chiefs. Yeah, and I'd already kind of been leaning that he was probably not going to be back when I saw that photo. But your your point of, you know, Tyron Matthew probably would have waited for a teammate to officially not be returning before throwing up that I'm going to take your jersey. So to your point, that's that's a really good observation that he's probably not coming back. How do we feel about the cornerback group without Bashad? You know, Bashad, granted, missed the first couple games with a suspension once he came back though looked really good and and played a pretty pretty solid football in Spagnola's system if you take him out you're really saying that your starting corners are going to be Charvarius Ward and Legereus Sneed which you know is is totally reasonable Charvarius Ward has shown at times he can be a legitimate number two corner maybe not last year was not his best example but in the past he's shown he can be a really solid number two Jerry Sneed, we're all feeling like is is on the up and up to become a number one corner in the NFL. And then you have a series of guys behind him with, you know, Rashad Fenton, who's played well in the slot at previous times. You've got DeAndre Baker, who we're, who we're hoping reaches the upside and potential of being a former first round pick. Just a matter of can he get healthy? Uh, you know, one name I was reminded of was, uh, I'm going to bring Bokey Pete. What is it? Bo Pete Keys. I'm forgetting his Bo name. So. Thank you. Bo Pete Keys, yeah. Bo Pete Keys, yeah. I, I always want to switch the keys and the Pete, and I don't even know why. It doesn't make any sense. As a, a developmental project, has the length and speed and athleticism to, to be a solid corner. It's just, you know, can he grasp the, the speed and the technique that's needed to play at the NFL level? There are pieces that could play very well with the cornerback group, but losing a starting quarterback is, you know, never easy. So, You'll go back around the horn reverse order here, Sam. How do you feel about the cornerback group as it stands right now if Bashad Breland is no longer a chief? It definitely, I think it hurts for sure. Breland was never, he was an interesting player because statistically, play style, he didn't stand out to be that guy that's just like, oh man, he he's the elite cornerback. But he, you definitely saw a difference when he was in on the field. I think um, when he was off, when he was out for those first three games, and anytime he was not on the field, I definitely thought that our secondary was hindered a bit, but not to the extent that what we're seeing is that I think he's a must-get free agent signing, a guy that we have to bring back. I think we're all, as you already said, Legarius Need. I think is on his way to being our number one cornerback. Is is a guy that we're hoping develops into that stud that we can rely on that can just cover anybody. And then you're looking at, okay, who's your number two primarily. And then with us again, running kind of that 
four, two, five, a lot of times with five secondary members, who's your, who's your slot. I continually forget that DeAndre Baker is on our team. And I think that potentially not signing Fenton means one of two things, or then not signing Brashad Breeland means one of two things. Number one, the coaching staff has high hopes of Baker coming off that injury and potentially being a high contributor or number two, as we'll get into the conversation is that is going to be an area of targeting with the draft. So I, I feel pretty comfortable with it. I think Fenton and Ward are good players. I don't want them to be the number two necessarily. Cause I think we definitely saw issues with that when they had to fill that role. Uh, they are not the, necessarily the stickiest coverage guys in the world, but, but I'm pretty comfortable with what we have remembering that Deandre Baker, if he can return to what he is supposed to be, as far as his form, I think it's a pretty solid unit overall, especially if we talk about Juan Thornhill coming back and hopefully he can regain his two years ago form. And then Tyron Matthew is still a very good safety as we all know. So Jay, what about you? The cornerback group as it stands right now, knowing potentially that Bashad Breeland may not return. How do you feel about this group of corners with the Chiefs? Well, let me start here. So I, I don't, I don't love the group, but I don't hate the group either because again, there's more positions of need. And I think you're seeing a team that has now played their quarterback. And this is the battle you go through every single off season when you have the paid franchise quarterback is you're like, okay, where are we going to be thin at this year? I would like to see a veteran come in because I, I think strategy wise, you, you look at another team that you're playing against and you say, you know what, a legit NFL t- offense has three receiving threats, you know, where, wherever that comes from, whether it's two receivers and a running back or tied in a wide receiver and a running back three wide receivers. I think you have to be prepared to go against that. And then I just worry about injuries because, you know, I wouldn't want to be down to Charvarius Ward and Rashad Fenton as your one and two. So I, I would like to see one more guy come in. But I do think it's a situational thing where you're, hey, a guy fell to us in the draft like a luxurious scene that we liked. Let's go get him. Or if you don't get that guy, you just go out into free agency after the draft and say, insert, we'll just use Bashad Breland's name because there's lots of Bashad Breland's out there. It's like, hey, Bashad Breland, come sign with our team. We need a corner. Okay, one-year deal. I'll try to prove it again this year. That's, that's where my brain's at it. And then just the reason I'm thinking that's the route is because you just study the history of what Brett Beach has done over the last three years. He doesn't draft corners high. They do value safeties. You've, you've seen that with the signing of Matthew and the drafting of Thornhill, but you haven't seen a corner really get drafted all that high with Legereus Sneed being the highest draft pick of the bunch in the fourth round. And again, fourth round, not, I would say that's the, bottom of the draft second third or your should be starters fourth you're starting to think about guys that might be projects so that's why i'm calling it a lower pick but that's what i'm saying is that i don't expect them to really invest much into it because they haven't shown that as a thing so far in the beach tenure i i think my biggest issue is lack of depth when you miss out on Bashad, you really are relying on a lot of ifs if DeAndre Baker can come back and be the same type of player you'd expect a number uh, first round pick to be, if Legereus Sneed continues to blossom into a number one corner, all of a sudden you're looking great. If Charverius Ward can, you know, at least in my opinion, I didn't think he looked as good last year as he did the year before. If Charverius Ward can return to form and be a solid number two, you know, you're, you're if Bo Pete Keys can turn into 
something that can be, you know, a contributor on defense and not just special teams. Rashad Fenton, same kind of thing. There are just a lot of ifs. And Bashad Breeland, love him or hate him, you kind of know what he is. I think that's the benefit of having that veteran presence is you know exactly what you're going to get from Bashad Breeland. You're going to get a physical corner who can play press man. And if he disrupts guys at line of scrimmage, can kind of take away the speed from, from top end receivers who are faster than him. Um, that's something that we're lacking right now is depth on the Chiefs roster. That's, that's my biggest frustration right now. And frustration is probably a strong word, but my biggest concern right now is lack of depth at this point. I say that I'm not overly worried about it because I do think that the Chiefs have shown the ability to go and find corners without investing much. And that's kind of scary to keep doing, but I think that's why I've said I'm not worried. But I'm with you, Sean. You explained my answer in like 200 less words, so nice work. <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous about the depth and not necessarily the who is the corners. For me, Jacob, just off of the what your first statement was as far as wanting to go out and sign a veteran, do you have a guy outside of Richard Breland that would fit that? Because obviously we're kind of past the point of the standouts being available as far as free agents go. You're looking at names. I mean, obviously Richard Sherman, DJ Hayden, uh, Josh Norman are still out there, but a lot of older guys that – you're kind of looking at almost carbon copies of what Breland was. So is there anybody particular? I, I'm not going to, I mean, putting you on the spot. I highly doubt you have every free agent available that you know, but is there anybody of that vein that you would be interested in going for or just somebody that could give you the veteran presence and depth? I've got one. Of two I, okay. I'll let Sean say it, but I'm still going to just stick to the standard in Veach we trust. I feel like he probably has one of those veterans. That he's like, if we can't get our guy in the draft, I'm going after this guy. So I'm only trusting Beach because they've shown the ability to go find corners. So I'm not worried about it for that reason. I've got a name is Steven Nelson. I think he's probably the one guy that, you know, he's only 28. So he's about the same age that, that you, that Bashad was when you first started courting Bashad. I think he'd be the guy he knows Kansas city. He knows maybe not Spagnola's system, but he knows, kind of what to expect with the Chiefs and an off-season program. He'd probably be my guy if he'd be willing to come back. I know that wasn't always it wasn't necessarily on great terms that he left, but apparently it wasn't really on great terms that he left Pittsburgh either. So if you can bring him in on a one-year deal and say, hey, if you can prove it, we'll restore your value. We'll talk you up. And and you know, Steven Nelson at the top of his game is a really good corner. It's just can you get him to the top of his game? So well, that, that would be my question about Steven Nelson too. Has he burned the bridge too much? Because I know people that are Twitter fanatics know that he was rubbing it in and being like, this is the best team I've ever played on. No doubt. Or so no cap, sorry. Or something like that. I'm, I'm not up to all the young hip lingo, but he's basically throwing in the chief's face when the Steelers were undefeated. Well, and I think that, I mean, and to be fair, like they were undefeated. And so saying like, you're, this is the best team I've ever been on. Probably not many teams go undefeated as long as the Steelers did. So I'll, I'm willing to give him a pass on that. I think the real issue with Bashad was just how he, he seemed to really have some animosity with Bob Sutton. And when Bob Sutton got canned, the first thing that you saw on Twitter, if you were on Twitter, was Stephen Nelson throwing up the picture of Kermit the Frog sipping tea. Like that was that was his first reaction. So it, it really seemed like he did not like what. Bo- what Bob Sutton was doing with the defense and frankly and nobody the, else in Kansas city was either. 
And to clarify, I think I think Stephen Nelson retweeted what Sam Blecka had posted because I don't know that I knew somebody <laughs> that hates Bob Sutton more than Sam Blecka. So let's not give Stephen Nelson all the credit. Possibly very true. So it's it's one of those things that now, like you have a completely new defensive regime, you have completely new defensive coaching staff. Is this and is that enough to to mend that bridge? Because I think out of the guys that are out there, yeah, there are bigger names. But, like, Richard Sherman's not going to come up and play press man. Josh Norman's probably not going to come up and play press man well. DJ Hayden would probably be the other name I'd be willing to look at just because I haven't got a chance to see him as much as the other guys. But Steven Nelson, to me, is the guy that if you want high-end potential for high-end production, I won't say high-end production because it's, you know, inconsistent, but potential for high-end production, he's your guy if you're not getting Bashad. Um so that would be the one guy I would I would put out there as a name that could still come in and give you legitimate uh, contributions on defense and be at minimum a solid number two corner. And I think to your point, it's like if you want one of those big names, anybody remember the Dar- Darrell Rivas uh, era with the Kansas City Chiefs? Because that's basically who you're signing with some of those older names. Yes, I do remember the, the Darrell Rivas, and that was not good. <laughs> Sean's still rocking the Darrell Rivas Chiefs jersey. He hasn't given up yet. I was so excited, man. I was so excited. And it turns out that, you know, there's a reason we got him on a one-year veteran minimum contract. This does kind of pose the question on what they are going to do. And, Jacob, you kind of you know, mentioned it in Veach We Trust. They have not prioritized corner the way that I think a lot of people would like them to in Kansas City especially if you're people at Pro Football Focus who believe that defense starts from the coverage unit in. You know, for me, I, I for me specifically, I would have liked to see them draft a guy that thought could have been a number one shutdown corner. Going back to our draft discussions, and we kind of started last week, we thought we'd go over our, at least our top couple of corners up to three that we liked. That, you know, if you're stuck at 31, because obviously anything can happen. You could trade up, you can trade down. Weird things happen. Guys might be available who they're not. But, you know, if you're stuck at 31, out of the guys who could realistically, based on the information we have right now, who could realistically be available, who are your guys? Who would you like to see the Chiefs take a chance on at 31? Jacob, we'll come back to you here first to lead things off. Who are your, who are the, you know, up to three corners that you would feel comfortable or would like to see the Chiefs take at that position? Uh, I would say I, I will throw a massive fit if they draft any corner at 31. There are way <laughs> bigger positions of need. In fact, you know, not it's not because I'm lazy. It's just because <laughs> it's just because I don't care. No, sorry, went office space on you there. But I don't need to look at the corners because I don't think it's realistic to take a corner at 31. So I'm basically taking lazy out and saying I don't want an, a corner at 31. They drafted a number one corner last year in the fourth round Legereus need. I mean, I was already calling it last year. The guy is the second coming of Jalen Ramsey or Rod Woodson or Charles Woodson. Take your pick of Woodson's. So I just don't think it's a position. And then history wise, nothing says that they're going to draft a corner that high. And so I, I'm not going to say it's a waste of time to say who the top three corners are because you could peg corner as a position of need. And we're in the offseason, so we're, you know, trying to come up with as many topics as possible. So my top three corners are offensive tackle, offensive tackle, and offensive tackle. 
that might be one of the best answers ever given on a podcast. Uh, Sam, knowing that uh, Jacob's taken offensive tackles completely out of the, the ability for you or I to pick at cornerback, who are your guys that you might feel comfortable with if, if at 31 the Chiefs do decide to go with a corner? I was looking at it more so after addressing – we haven't gotten into wide receiver yet. I think that's the one position that – Jacob kind of called me out on it last week or the week before that he may be correct on if we're going to take somebody. I don't like the idea of taking a wide receiver. I may answer the same way Jacob just did when we get into that conversation <laughs> later on this year. But what I'm looking at is the more and more I look at where we're sitting at in the draft, it doesn't make sense to sit there because to stay there because none of the talent pool that we need fit that pick. So I'm looking at the cornerbacks as if we traded back and they're guys that are not going to be at 31 potentially, but are looking at that maybe mid second round, because that's where I think trading back would be able to get us more value for what we're trying to fill the needs of the team actually are. Now I will say if a Patrick Sertan, the second fell to like 20, let's go get him. Just, just to bring back another Patrick Sertan onto the team, this time before he's... A good Patrick dead. Sertan. Yeah. <laughs> or, no, a young Patrick Sertan. One a young Patrick Sertan. Sertan. Or if we wanted to bring... If we just wanted to keep it in the family and go after J.C. Horn, oh. because we had his dad as a wide receiver, that'd be great too. But we had his dad was a wide receiver before we realized that we had his dad as a wide receiver <laughs> and what the problem was. And I would say that before I get into my three that I'm looking at mid second round, I do like Asante Samuel jr. Not necessarily because I think he's an elite corner because what I see in him is a potential replacement for Tyron Matthew when he's gone. So he's kind of that interesting pick for me because I think it'd be weight drafting, honestly drafting him too high at 31, which I actually think he'll probably be gone by then because more of his name than anything But for me, the three I'm looking at are interesting because two of them are developmental, but there's a lot of hype around them. And I think the hype around them is because they're both incredibly fast. The first one's Kelvin Jones out of Kentucky, a guy that what I've seen on tape is just just fast. I mean, just blazing speed doesn't seem to have the elite corner coverage skills yet. But again, that's one of those things that we've seen develop. We've seen guys get into the league with that talent and be able to learn that. The other guy that's almost identical to that is Eric Stokes out of Georgia. Former track athlete. I think it was like a 4-2-9-40. Just he's one of those guys that kind of like the Willie Gay conversation that he may mess up, but no one's outrunning him. So it's okay, (laughs) basically. But you do see a lot of penalties at the top end of routes, not being able to have that elite coverage ability. But the guy I'm actually most interested in, and I, I apologize if I butcher his name, but it's Ifatu Malafano. Oh, my boy. Yes. He Thank is out of Syracuse. I love this guy. I yes. obviously never watched oh. him in college. He is a monster. He is not necessarily the speed that we look for in – because I think the, the biggest complaint we had last year was that our cornerbacks weren't the fastest. We would get burned by fast receivers a lot of times. But we do have Legarius Sneed, who is a sub 4 a He is a fast cornerback and still big. This guy, what I really liked about him is his run play. He's a 
about 6'3", 205 pounds, and he is a thumper. Man, coming up on run, really covering a lot of ground for being a – I think he's still – look, sub 540, so he's not – a blazing quarterback. He's not a guy you're throwing out there to cover slot receivers, but he is the one, if we were going to take one in the second and I knew that if we threw him on the field, I felt I would feel comfortable just as an immediate player. I think he was the most developed of the three. I looked at as far as those guys I looked at doesn't have the raw ability of maybe the first two I mentioned, but as far as speed and explosiveness, but man, watching his highlight tapes, just watching some of his play, I, I was a big fan of, of what he could potentially offer as a cornerback adjacent to LeJarius Sneed. Um, my and, man. My man. Um, oh, I'm those so were, Those were my three. Again, my what I was looking at is I think – and the first two I mentioned actually are probably going to go a lot higher than what I'm looking at just because of how fast they are. <laughs> I think people fall in love with the, the cornerback speed and guys that run 4-2-9-40s and they're like, oh, my gosh, we've got to go get him. So they may be gone before the picks I'm looking at taking those guys at, but I, I do think uh, Ifatu. I know I think I can say his first name correctly. I'm going to butcher his last name, so I'm going to try again. But I think he he may be a guy that we could get in that low mid low second round. That would be a, a maybe even a steal at that point um, for what his what he offers. Go ahead, Jacob. You've been waiting. No, Sean, you go ahead because I'm going to derail the conversation completely. <laughs> oh, I'll go after you. Okay, so Sam, I'm gonna pick right up where you left off, and I'll work my way backwards because I I had kind of taken it as a an I a blend of what you're saying, and if you're stuck at 31, who would you take? Uh, if Fatu is is my guy, if you can move back, oh, I love his game. Uh, he is to your point. He's it's odd because the the, the film that I saw him play most, he's mostly playing zone, and, and what I saw. However his ability to come up and tackle, not just like the ability to tackle, but his willingness to tackle to your point about his ability to come up and help in the run. He has no problem sticking his nose in there and getting, getting physical. I loved that about his game to your point. He's not a blazer. Um, depending on who, what pro scout you're talking to is a four, four, eight or a four, five, 40, but overall his athletic measurements were, were really good. Were not bad at all. They were good if you look at the totality of the athletic test they put you through, he is explosive. He has explosion, the physical tools to be a really good corner. I think, you know, the, the film I saw, he's playing a lot of zone, a lot of off coverage. So my first initial question is, could he play press man based on the physical play that I saw and his size, you would think that he'd be able to. And then just like any other physical corner, um, and especially developmental corners, his, he gets a little handsy at the top of routes at times. That's the only real thing I had a problem with him on. Yeah, real quick, just to, before you move on to your next guys, I thought with your conversation of could he play man press, Bashar Breeland was a 4-6-40 in high, in, out of college. And what I see in Manafuwu is a guy that may need the safety help over the top but I don't think at that size he's going to have any trouble jamming a receiver off the line, but he's just going to fill. He's a, a faster version of Bashard Breeland and a bigger version of him basically. Yeah. yeah. He's just, he's got tremendous size. I, I, when you said his name, I was just like, Oh, when you started to say, I'm going to try to pronounce his name. I got so excited. Cause that was one guy just, he jumped off to me off, off of, off the film to me. It was, he was terrific. 
the next guy, if you're stuck at 31, was kind of the next step that I took that I feel like you would feel comfortable with is Greg Newsom. He he doesn't have quite the size that Ifatu does. He's six feet, 190, 195 pounds, somewhere in there. And I think he officially he came in at his pro day at 192. So he's still a solid size corner, just doesn't have quite the same uh, height and weight that Ifatu does. However, he does have the speed that I think that we talked about last year was lacking at, at the cornerback position at times outside of Legarius Sneed. Uh, he ran a 4-3-8-40 at his pro day. So he does have the speed, the length, the size to, to body up and, and still be able to turn and run with a receiver. He, he has played both a lot of press man. He plays a lot of zone. He mirrors very well, I thought. Uh, with his receivers and again one of the things that I loved about him is one of the same things I love about Ifatsu is that he seemed to be very willing and able to come up in the run game and tackle so that really excited me again the biggest thing is he's a physical corner and at times if he if he commits hard like if he opens his hips early he has a hard time sometimes snapping at the top of routes on you know like flag routes or double moves to then move with a receiver and can get kind of handsy at times. That'd be my one concern with Greg Newsom. Otherwise, I think he'd be he terrific. And for those curious, he's out of Northwestern. And then the last guy, Sam, is another one that you mentioned is Asante Samuel Jr. is my number three. And for a lot of the same reasons that you talked about, he's he's an aggressive corner in a different way in that he played a, the film that I saw. He's playing a lot of zone where he's reading the quarterback's eyes. He is definitely, I think, based on what I have seen, the definition of a ball hawk. He's looking for the ball. He's going to attack the ball with a lot of aggression. I think that could leave him open to some double moves and, and things that, you know, over the top if he commits too hard. But I love the idea of him being a guy who's a bigger version of Tyron Matthew, playing maybe that robber role or, you know, filling in the slot, has the ability to play deep safety in a cover three. Uh, I really like his versatility potential. And, and so for me, he would be my number three guy. Jacob, you're, you're ready to derail us with your comments at this point. So sure. if you want to fire away now that we've got our cornerbacks out there. Uh, let's, let's start derailing. Any other questions here regarding the cornerback group? So, so first off, you guys are, you know, concerned about big physical corners. And we solved this one earlier in the year with Dion Yelder is the guy that's going to be covering the big receivers and tight ends on the other side. So, again, he's not signed back to the Chiefs yet, but I could see it as a post-draft pickup. Bring in Dion Yelder to cover the tight ends. On a more serious note, not that I'm not serious about finding the defensive tight ends. you got to go find those tight ends that can't catch to play defense. But the Chiefs are very good at signing the tight ends to not catch the ball on offense so eventually they'll figure out to put them on the defensive side but anyway a couple of things you guys reminded me of I was thinking strategy wise about this whole trade back where do the Chiefs trade back to because one thing that does kind of scare me is the pack of teams that are at the top of the second round are going to be the same teams that just drafted a quarterback most likely if this draft falls like a lot of people think with at least one two three potentially four one, two, three, yeah, one, two, three, being quarterback. So quarterbacks going early, these teams being like, okay, next up, we need to protect our new shiny thing, which the Chiefs, we assume, would trade back to go get the tackle. 
So for me, that's one thing that I wondered just strategy wise, where the chiefs are at in regards to that with the trade back. So that was where my mind has gone at this point about, man, I wonder where they have deemed where to trade back to. And of course it's all situational based on draft night as well, because let's say a Bengals don't go with uh, Panay Sewell and they say, Hey, we're going to get the, we're going to go get Kyle Pitts. We're going to get a receiving target instead. So like I said, that's one thing that has my head spinning right now. I think it's mostly situational, but I was kind of curious what you guys thought about that. And then the other one that I had was, and this is just strategy towards the safeties and corners in general. We still haven't seen what we thought would be the, you know, going to happen deal with Tyron Matthew re-signing his contract. And Sam mentioning, you know, Asante Samuel Jr. being a guy that could shift to that. So what I wonder is, I, I do wonder where their minds are at with Matthew. And maybe was it just a cap thing where they're like, hey, we didn't get Trent Williams, Tyron. So we're just going to, we don't need to keep con- talking about your contract extension. So those were two things you guys made me wonder about as you were talking with through your points. I'll take it in reverse order, just for my own opinion. I do, I heard this opinion Um, I forget where, so I apologize. I'm not going to attribute it to the correct person, but that I think a lot, any extension is probably going to wait after the draft just to that point that if you find someone who can be more affordable that you think fills that role well, why extend someone and give them more money until you know for sure that you need that player? So as they're getting, you get the younger version as well. Exactly. So if, if the chiefs did land an Asante Samuel jr. In the second round, all of a sudden you may have just solved your corner ends and you don't have to worry about picking up a, a Toron Matthew extension, especially if somebody like DeAndre Baker comes out and is, is the stud that you hope you and think that he could be to your other point about how far would you trade back? I would like the chiefs to stay within the top 40 of picks. So anything from 33 to 40 in the second round, the foolproof method of running a mock draft and just seeing how many different scenarios that are out there in, in most scenarios that I have seen, Liam Eikenberg is still available in the early second round. There are uh, Samuel Cosme at times drops into the early second round. Again, not a foolproof method at all. It's a dart throw at best with the drafts, but, and this will something we'll get into later. If you don't like the tackles at 31, that are available or maybe they're all gone and you move back and you do take another position like linebacker, like we talked about last week, like cornerback, like we're talking about this week, next week, I'm sure we'll probably talk wide receiver. You know, there, there are a lot of potential options you could take with your first pick, wherever that ends up being. We'll talk about, you know, tackles that might be available later in the draft uh, later in this show. So I think it just depends on who's available that they think could be available later in the draft versus who's available at 31. But if you can stay in the top 40, I think that you have a myriad of options available to you. The, the question that, that is unanswerable until the draft starts is what position are going to people going to get happy about? What position are people going to start jumping on? Because that you seem to see that every year where for whatever reason, you just see a run on one specific player or one specific position, and it just kind of shuffles things up. And it's not always, again, it's not always in the first round. This is things that you see in the second as well. With this year's draft, and, and Jacob and I were talking about it right before the beginning of the podcast, what, I'm, what I like about it and why I'm fine trading back 
is kind of like what I said when I started my my beginning on cornerbacks is the positions that we need there are is a lot of depth that I feel is going to be in the second and third round but I don't think there's as far as where we are there's a lot of super high in talent at number 31 so unless there is just a ridiculous run on tackles and we feel that if we don't take one now we may not see another one come through I feel like we could trade back and get a serviceable tackle at our second pick in, in the, in the second round. But it, it just, it, this is all hypothetical in our minds. Obviously we're, we're mock drafting in our own head of saying, okay, maybe we can get a guy that's 45th pick. And this is who I'd like. It, it's really impossible to know until where the draft happiness comes in and what people like to do. But I, I think the chiefs are in a position that, What's nice, like like I said, what's nice about this draft is because the positions we are looking for are so deep in this draft, I think it sets us up well for being able to fill positions without having to reach up to grab guys, without feeling that, it, oh, we have to go up and get Patrick Sertan too because Patrick Sertan the second. He's number two. Uh, Patrick Sertan's the second because he's the only cornerback. No, there's a lot of cornerbacks. And so we can sit and wait and see how it falls out. So again, I like answering your question without answering your question, Jacob, because you love to disagree with me, but it really is hard to tell until we know where people, what position people are going to be seeking for, because I think the 31st pick is a hard one to trade regardless, unless like random positions start to fall out. And at the end of the first round, Greg Newsom the second is still sitting there because I think he's a player that people would want to want to go up and get. And the chiefs might be able to be like, Hey, he's good, but we can get a lot of draft capital for people to go up and get him. So it, it really just depends on what position falls in this draft. Um, and I think the quarterback will end up being what d- determines that depending on how people see some of these like fourth and fifth quarterbacks that are, are going to be in the draft, especially if Mac Jones is up going third, that's just going to mess everything up because people are going to be trying to shuffle around to get Trey Lance basically at this point. Right. Right. Yeah. I have two things towards that. Just draft strategy wise, you see it every single year and it, you can't, there's no telling what position it's going to be, but every single year you get that weird. It's not, it's not round one. Usually it's usually round two or three where like four or five teams all trade up to draft the same position in a row because they get terrified. And so that's what I wonder about, like, where is that going to happen and what position is it going to be? Because if it's the offensive tackle, I could see the Chiefs being the ones that have led the band on that because they traded back in the second round and started to take one of those guys we talked last week where there's like four or five guys that are the same. So that's that's just kind of where my brain was at on as, as far as that one goes. But then the other thing is, I've said this and this is counterintuitive to how the world worked last year is that the first round, I don't see why teams aren't valuing that fifth year option more than they are to have at this point, you always hear the young controllable talent thing. And it doesn't seem like teams have caught on to, Hey, get into the first round so you can get that fifth cheap year on a player. So that's why I wonder if there could be some extra value at 31. Now, again, last year when the Chiefs were at 32 and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire came up, it didn't serve any extra value because from all reports, they were trying to trade out of it and nobody wanted it. 
the position actually, Jacob, to your, your first point there that I think there could be a weird run on is, is one player and that's Kyle Pitts. And the only reason I say weird run on is because apparently Jerry Jones is infatuated with him. And I think that with Atlanta trying to trade out of number four, saying that they're open for business and willing to move back, it's clear that they're not 100% sold on trying to find Matt Ryan's successor. I think that's the move. I think that's the move up to four to get ahead of Cincinnati that could really mess up the things for the Chiefs. Because if Dallas goes up and makes that deal with Atlanta, if they're somehow able to get ahead of Cincinnati and get to four and get Kyle Pitts, at that point, you're Cincinnati. Okay, well, the decision's made for us. We're taking Panay Sewell. We're going to take him. And at which point the run on tackles begins. And that's where it really starts to become a problem because there, there's a lot of talk I've heard lately about the Raiders potentially being interested in Tevin Jenkins as that guy who just plays nasty football and, and with them moving out as many offensive linemen as they did this, this offseason, wouldn't be surprised at all. But if your run starts at, on tackles at five instead of like eight through ten, I think that's where the Chiefs really start to go, okay, we're not getting the tackle we want. We need to start thinking about moving back. Because I think that that's the run, as you say, starts with a position that is essentially one guy in the first round with Kyle Pitts. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I I think the more accurate way to look at that one, though, would be when is the second rung of tackles run going to be? Because I think Panay Sewell goes in that top five picks regardless. And then you have Rashawn Slater as the consensus. Okay, that's the next best guy. Then it will be like, when does that second rung of the offensive tackles go? Because it could be a crazy run, like you've said. So, like I said, that's why the draft is so fun because it's so unpredictable. It's going to be a blast. I'm, I'm hoping that the decision becomes a difficult one for Cincinnati because I think at that point, if everything gets pushed down just a little bit, that makes things a lot easier on the Chiefs going forward. Talked a lot about corner, um, so we'll, we'll move here now to our next position, which this was one that, until I started watching film, I was almost certain that this is what the Chiefs were going to end up at, and that's edge. Because to your guys' points, like there's always a position that ends up being, that always ends up having a major run. And it always seems to be the position that they talk about having great depth. And all of a sudden, by the time the Chiefs end up picking, that position doesn't have great depth anymore. And so for me, I thought, well, if the tackles are all gone, it's probably going to be defensive end because Andy Reid loves to draft, you know, up guys who play up front, whether that be on defense or offense. But Philadelphia, he drafted an absurd number of defensive linemen. So for me, it was like, well, it's going to be probably an edge to play across from Frank Clark and then you'll eventually replace Frank Clark. And then I started watching film. Not a lot that made me really, really excited, guys. Um, not my favorite class I've ever seen. So we'll go around here and get, again, who, who are your guys that, you know, if you're stuck at 31 and, you know, again, Sam, to your scenario earlier, which I kind of liked, if, you're, if there's not a guy that you feel great about moving up for, if you have to trade back, or if you're just stuck at 31, you can't move out. Jacob, to your point about what happened to the Chiefs last year, and, you know, it's about, well, Clyde Edwards-Alaire fits our system, so I guess we'll take him. Who are your guys at edge? Um, you know, whether it's one through three, however many, who, who would you feel is the best option for Kansas City? Yeah, so I'm going to take this one first, and I'm going to go off of what I've always 
I'm, I'm going to steal Jacobs from what he said on corner, because if we take another SEC defensive end, <laughs> I will never root for the Chiefs draft again. I don't care if it happens. I'm done because that's if anyone knows me, you know, my hatred of drafting SEC defensive ends. But unlike Jacob, I still came prepared to talk about this position. <laughs> um, but no, in, in reality, you're right, Sean. There isn't. There's a lot of guys that are physical freaks. There's a lot of guys that are Mike Dana. There are not a lot of guys that you look at and be like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with him being a four-down defensive end. Just ever, can do a little everything." The first two I looked at fit within the range of man he is a physical freak that there is not a lot else to him it's kind of almost my cornerback situation where I was like these two guys are really fast but they're not necessarily complete cornerbacks yet and I think the defensive ends that I looked at we kind of fit within that role the first one comes from Penn State Jason Noah 6'5 260 very fast at 437 Looked like he had great get off of what I saw. He's going to be one that if if he fell down to 31, I would be surprised if the Chiefs don't take him because I think he's a guy that's probably going to go a little higher than that just because he I think the defensive end, the edge rusher is exactly the position we talked about or we're referring to that the runs happen a lot on those guys. That's a position that seems to happen a lot where when one starts to go, a lot of them end up going pretty quickly. But if they don't go, they end up falling very fast and they end up going down in the second. Just I think there's a that happens a lot with that position specifically. Uh, I think it's that and wide receiver are the two that cause that to happen the most, which is like your defensive edge rushers or your wide receivers. When they start going, it seems like they go fast. If they don't go, they fall pretty quick. But I think he's he's one that if if we got stuck at 31 and there was no other way to look at it besides we have to take a guy that that fits this this pick he would be the guy that fit in there jeremy russo from from florida or from yeah from miami again wow he's he is physically an incredible player i saw no moves out of that guy that guy was just i can beat everyone because i'm faster than you and i'm bigger than you not real excited if we went after him early uh, he's another guy that if you're at 55 to 60 range somewhere in there maybe I'm okay with it but again just one of those that physically gifted needs a lot of development I felt like the only one out of these that and he's one that if we picked him in the first round I I will never watch a Chiefs draft again so this is one that is really if we're back in the second second end which is Peyton Turner out of Houston oh the only one that I've looked at as a four down or three down defensive end that can do a little of everything. He's not as freaky as the other two guys, as far as physical ability, but real long again, just over six, five, 270 pounds. So he's a bigger defensive end. And I feel like he could fit the role of what our defense does a lot um, and could potentially be the guy that fits that role or fits that position aside from Frank Clark where you still have pass rush ability, but you can trust him to be a little bit more than what Frank Clark's done. So I I didn't go as much into these guys as I did the cornerbacks, but just because you guys kind of said it, it's there's a lot of them and they're all kind of the same. There's not a lot of guys that just stand out completely, but 
I thought there were some guys that that fit would fit the defense well, just not real exciting. And if we take again, if we take an SEC defensive end in the first round, I, I quit. I'm so excited because Peyton Turner, I'm like, is a name I already have locked in for reasons I'll get into here in just a minute. Uh, so the fact that Sam has now said that he's bailing on being a fan is, if they draft him makes me think they're probably definitely going to draft him just probably. to hack him off. Um, Jacob, we'll go to you next here, man. What do you, who do you got as your guys that you, if the Chiefs end up taking edge, you'd feel most comfortable with? First off, Sam's got me excited. I think I need to go take some vitamins because I'm only like four inches too short, 40 pounds too light, <laughs> two seconds off my 40 time and 25 reps short on the bench press to play defensive end in the NFL and not at a high level Just a based bit. on how you guys feel about these defensive ends. So at a mediocre level, <laughs> but uh, no, mine are going to be kind of three tiered guys. So Rousseau, if he's there at 31, I would not be upset if there's no offensive tackle. I do think that he would be kind of a fun player to pick up because he has all the tools to be really good. But like Sam said, he's got zero moves. He's just big and strong and fast, which, you know, that combination is what makes you a good football player most times. Uh, next up, I'd like to I'd like to them to go after Jordan Smith from UAB. He looks like you're uh, he looks like. You know, if you haven't seen a cousin or a sibling for a while, then one year you show up at Thanksgiving and that cousin's like six inches taller than you. But, you know, you can still take him because he's got no muscle on him. So you're like, oh, hey, how's it going? But that's that's what he looks like frame wise. But so, I haven't. Jacob, ahead, that, you're explaining Sean's brother. Yes. Yes. That or, you know, probably people with a cousin. Not everybody has 19 people in their immediate family, Sam. <laughs> Some people have 19 people in their extended family. So. We're, we're not making this Sean specific. Anyway, I, not to not to knock on Sean, but 18 and 19 and counting was about the Deegans, not the Duggars. Don't, don't get it confused. <laughs> the Duggars was just a spinoff series of the Deegans. But, Still, uh, I'm getting royalties for that. <laughs> exactly. They, you know, they did you wrong. Who was that TLC that did you wrong? Is that who makes that series? Always did us wrong. <laughs> I'll have to ask Melissa. She's still watching it. I don't know why, but. So, yeah, I like him a lot because, because of he would be a situational rusher. So it's the opposite of what Sam was saying about a four-down guy. I do think it's interesting to think about what should the Chiefs do on defense at pass rusher because they have had guys that have lacked pass rush skill when needed. And I think this Jordan Smith from UAB is pretty interesting because he's not going to be a great run defender unless he puts more weight on or puts more size on. Maybe it's not weight because he's like 255, but he doesn't look it. Right? The, the bend that he has, just like, man, it'd be nice to have when the Chiefs are up in a game. Because if we're being realistic and, you know, we're not being cocky Chiefs fans and saying this, the Chiefs are going to be ahead a lot of the times because of having Patrick Mahomes. And they need somebody defending against the pass who's trying to come back against them. Teams are going to try to gun it against them. But then the third one is just probably probably an undrafted guy or late in the draft is Wyatt Hubert from Kansas State kind of intrigues me. Not from a athleticism point because he's really not a fantastic athlete, but he also doesn't fit the Steve Spagnola system of, you know, tall, long, lean defensive end. So he doesn't fit anything that the Chiefs should take. But because he went to my school and he was a pretty productive player, he intrigues me. And the thing that I think I see in him is heavy hands, which if you're a 
a chief super nerd that scares you because the last person that got talked about is having super heavy hands, I believe, by Seth Kaiser was uh, that dude that we drafted that wasn't any good that could recover fumbles. I don't even remember his name at this point. Breland. Breland speaks. There we go. There yeah. it is. That's how memorable he was, was that we remembered him from waving at the camera on a fumble recovery once in college, once in the NFL. But yeah, it kind of makes me think of him where it's just like he's good at getting guys off of him. But the problem is that the offensive tackles in the NFL have much longer arms than a lot of the guys he faced in college. So it's going to be tough for him to shed guys and he doesn't have some sort of elite speed, but there's something about him. He's a try hard guy. And I think he's inspired me for that sense. So like I said, he'd be a low late round pickup that it would just be interesting to see what he'd be like. He it to give a comp. He is, he is your Nick Bosa style defensive end. The problem is I think he's about 20 pounds lighter and two inches shorter. Jacob, are you are you just trying to replace Jared Allen? Yes. <laughs> I need, that sounds I need exactly to, what you just explained. <laughs> I need Jared Allen back. Jared Allen to the Hall of Fame. Do it now. Uh, you said guy that we drafted that wasn't any good, and I'm like, Jacob, that's like 15 years of Chiefs football. I need you to be way more specific than that. Insert hey, well, you know what? To SEC be fair, all, defense, all teams have bad picks. Yeah. Insert SEC defensive te- or lineman that the Chiefs selected between 2000 and 2018. Yes. I went kind of a different route. I wanted to see that – not a different route. I was very much similar to how you guys just maybe a different spin on it. Uh, by the way, you weren't kidding about your Jordan Smith cat. He is 6'6 six, six and 255. Like, that is a lean, tall cat. Uh, we need to get some barbecue in that dude and get him playing left defensive end. The guys I looked at were guys I think have the most potential to be explosive and productive defensive ends. The problem with them that I'll get into here in just a minute is that they can't see, stay healthy. Um, not, I'll go ahead and double up a little bit with you, Sam. Peyton Turner is actually the guy that I thought size, athleticism, and actual pass rush ability kind of fit all of those. He was the one that could set an edge. There's a couple of plays I watched him run, run a wide receiver down from behind in a screen set. So, you know, before the receiver really gets running, but still moving at a pretty good clip, he's still able to make the play from the backside. Uh, the ability to, to engage with an offensive lineman and get to your secondary move and get to the quarterback. I liked all the things that I saw out of him in that regard. The problem is you can't rely on the play. He, he was banged up consistently last year. You know, he had five sacks and 10 and a half tackles for a loss, but he only played five games. And when you're talking about, you know, the best ability of his availability, not to beat a cliche into the ground, but that's, that's a problem. So overall, like I, I like his game probably as terms of a completionist sense the most, but it's just, can he, can he be on the field? You know, that's, that's a huge deal. The next one I went with is actually opposite uh, your boy Gregory Rosu is the other Miami defensive end, Jalen, um, excuse me, Jalen Phillips. I, I liked his explosivity off of the line at the defensive end spot, probably the most out of any of the ends I watched. His first step to me was the best out of any of them that I saw. He's got a wicked swim move. Um, he's got a solid spin to go along with just his, the explosion that he has off of off of the end runs a four five seven forty at six five 
and 260. His short shuttle time was 4.18 seconds, vertical jump at 36 inches. Like his broad jumps, 10 and a half feet. He's got all of the explosion and athleticism you want and has the pass rush moves to back it up. Again, can he get on the field? His career high for games played in college was last year with 10. Before that, he played four in 2018 and seven in 2017 after sitting out all of 2019 uh, due to the transfer rules in the NCAA. It's, a, it's an issue of availability with those two guys. And then my last one, again, is, is Rosu. I think he's, in terms of overall athleticism, in terms of size, speed, strength, explosion, he's probably the best. It's just a matter of does he stay at left defensive end? The, the biggest concern I've had is I've heard some people talk about how he might end up moving inside a defensive tackle, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if you get a, you know, another Chris Jones-esque type guy in the middle who can really create some havoc in, from a defensive tackle position. But those would be my three. I do want to ask, because a couple of the guys, that all the guys we've talked about have warts, but I think one of the biggest problems that has come up is looking at guys who are athletes versus guys who produce and the guys who produce typically have warts like are you available to play Um, or their athleticism at the NFL level does not translate Uh, a good example of this of this type of player is uh, Sam your guy Jason Oway that's the one from Penn State athletic freak 4.3740 34 and a half inch arms 11 foot and two inch broad jump, almost a 40 inch vertical is 39 and a half inches. Absolute monster athlete on a six four, nearly six five, 260 pound frame. Did not record a sack last year. I mean, for a guy who is that explosive and a guy who, when I watched him, seems to have a really powerful motor, didn't get a sack versus a guy like. You're, you're the guy I really like, Peyton Turner, who gets five sacks in five games, but can't play. He's, he's banged up all the time. Um, you know, we've seen guys who at the, the collegiate level don't really put up numbers that equal the athleticism and size that they have. See Dontari Poe with Kansas City. Gets to the Kansas City Chiefs, ends up being a Pro Bowl nose tackle as long as his body would let him. Guys at the, at the collegiate level who, who – produce got that don't translate to the NFL level because their athleticism technique and everything else doesn't translate. It's not a defensive end, but seeing Tim Tebow, there's all, there are always guys who have a hard time finding their niche, whether they're not athletic enough, they can't stay on the field versus the top end athletes who, for whatever reason, either technique wise, work ethic, et cetera, don't seem to find it. So my question to you guys is how do you guys feel about, evaluating players when you're looking at athleticism versus production. Um, Sam, I'll come back to you here first. Personally, I think this is probably one of the harder ones to debate when you want to look purely at production. You brought up probably the best example of this is in saying that Jason away only did not get a sack his final season at Penn state. He was also first 10 all big 10 without a sack. Something's got to be going right there to be seen as the first team, all big 10 and not have a sack. So looking at it's that it's the age old debate we've talked about before, where how much can we look at stats and be like, yeah, that guy is elite. Now 
Chiefs have failed in the past at drafting guys that I'm not saying that it's not important to look at because we have drafted guys that were athletic freaks in the past and they worked out real well. See Breland speaks, see Jonathan Baldwin guys that physically fit the mold of what an NFL player at their position should be. And because of the potential got drafted incredibly high and fizzled out of the league very quickly. I guess in a roundabout way, I'm saying it's very difficult <laughs> to identify how that is. What I like about the, the defensive ends, especially, especially with our consensus guy, um, with Peyton Turner, is what I saw in him is, again, the injury problem is always a worry. And that's something that I don't know if you can look at and be like, you obviously can't tell if a guy is, is hurt, being able to play through injuries or, or are you hurt or are you injured is the old thing is, is this guy just not that tough and not playing well, or is he, what was the deal? But what I liked about him is his, was his motor because he was a guy that looked like, okay, exactly what Jacob was talking about it. Or we were joking about with Jared Allen. That's what we all loved about Jared Allen is he never quit. He was a guy that it was, it doesn't matter if he was being blocked by six guys, he was going to do everything he could just so he could lasso the cow. But at the end of the day, when I look at these guys, at defensive line, athletic freaks can be very successful. I think it's one of the few positions in the NFL where you can put an athletic freak on the on the defensive line and be like, okay, go play. And they will, even if they're not Hall of Famers, even if they're not guys that are going to be all pro, a lot of times they end up producing at least a little bit. D Ford, another good example of that, where he was one that pretty much an athletic freak. D Ford was an incredibly fast defensive ta- or defensive end slash outside linebacker that we started to see kind of come around because I think as the years went on, he started kind of developing into somewhat of what we drafted him as, but it's, I think with certain positions, I would much be much more comfortable drafting guys that have shown production that have shown that they are able to perform at a high level, even if they don't necessarily have the greatest physical ability, but at defensive line, if I see a guy that is six, five ish, 260 pounds, or runs a four, three, nine, 40, I might take a chance on him, <laughs> go after him a little bit, just see what he can do. That seems fair. Jacob, what about you? Production versus athleticism. You know, how, how do you go about trying to evaluate these guys, especially this year with the amount of defensive ends that we've all said now, you know, man, we're just not really sure about it. Yeah, I think first to answer your question, when you have production and athleticism, that ends up being a top 15 pick, right? It's like, okay, there's the guy. He did things and he's athletic. All right, that's our guy. Let's go get him. And so that that is an interesting one to bring up because there is no 100% right answer because, again, you know, it's very situational. I was going to make a point about how Chase Young, you know, his final year team seemed to run away from him. And so that was why his numbers might not have looked as good, but he had 16 and a half sacks. And so that point went right out the door. It's disappointing when your facts don't back up the point you wanted to make, but that's why you have to look up the data first. So that's disappointing, but it is situational and like that. So I'll watch a lot of those top prospects like a Chase Young. It is kind of funny to watch them. And so maybe that's what happened with the Penn State guy was, they ran the ball away from him every time. They always doubled him. It could be things like that. I haven't watched him enough to know. But so that, that's where you have to think, number one, production-wise, is sometimes it's situational. 
or like some people that have worked out like Tyreek Hill, who didn't have a lot of production well, it was because he was getting in trouble and getting bounced around and not learning systems and not being really a wide receiver at all. He was being played as a running back and a returner. And then you look at a guy, because this is one that Sam called that I wish I wasn't so wrong about. It's the one time Sam has been right when I was wrong and all of history was DK Metcalf, you know, didn't produce a lot in college, but was just an athletic freak. And so I think you see a lot from college teams and, and NFL teams where they'll bring in people just to be like, okay, you know what? You're not very athletic, but you're still six foot seven. We can coach that somehow. We'll put some weight on you. And so that happens in college and then it happens in the NFL where they look at guys and they look at numbers and like, okay, we think we can do something here. Cause like you mentioned, Don Terry Poe was like, didn't have a lot of production, but he ended up being a good draft pick for the chiefs. It, it ended up working out for them. You know, he didn't resign, but he got what they got, what they needed out of him for the time being. So I, to answer your question, I don't think you can answer the question perfectly because you can find examples on either side. And to say, oh, I want both. Well, the unfortunate thing is you only get one first round draft pick. So that's where your guys are going to be at. But what would I prefer? I think at this point, because I look way too deep into these prospects, is I would mainly lean towards the athleticism and what a guy can be. Now, that's dangerous because you can end up with a McCole Hardman. So that's where I'll end with, you know, just one more point that doesn't line up with what I said. One of the things that I've gotten kind of going through the the draft guide you shared with us, Sean, is one of the things that's not noted on a lot of guys, but I think when teams are looking at the super, I think I saw it more on the cornerbacks than anything, was he is very coachable and he takes instruction well. And I think, and you saw that on a lot of the guys that are the physical freaks, but maybe don't have the the technical ability that a Patrick Sussan uh, the second does. So that's what I, if, if I'm a, if I'm the chiefs and I want to go look at a guy that we know is just physically ridiculous, but doesn't show up on film a lot, I'd go to his coach and be like, Hey, how, how coachable is he? Is he a guy that's going to just rely on being a physical freak or is he actually going to work at becoming a good NFL player? Because we've, again, the chiefs have seen where every NFL team has seen this. I'm not saying the chiefs are the only one. Glenn Dorsey is a great example of a guy that had production and athletic ability and came to the NFL and whether it be through the system or whatever, didn't succeed. So it can happen in a lot of situations where even if you see everything out of a a college player, it doesn't always translate. But I think a lot of these super athletes, these freak athletes that we talk about, the ones that we see succeed, DK Metcalf has worked incredibly hard. You, You see, I think, you've seen him develop actual ability to run routes where in college it was just, I'm six, six, 270 pounds. And I run a four, two forty. I don't need to run a route. I just run and throw me the ball. And that's why I think like, I'm sure with you, Jacob, if, if you looked at him and, and he just, he was just big, but he was a guy that I thought, you know, athleticism and he seems like he works at wants to actually be a better player. So it's a difficult conversation. I think that's probably one of the – it's why we are all doing a fan podcast and we are not NFL draft uh, scouts because I guarantee you they can probably give you an exact – a perfect explanation as to how they look at this. But, I, yeah, I'm right there with Jacob. Athleticism a lot of times I think is 
you can't coach athleticism, but you can coach a lot of other things. Okay, just to clarify real quick, because we're you know on the freak athlete thing, and Sean, you might need to help me out because I think we both love this guy. Was it the same year that that Wake Forest linebacker that everybody loved for the Chiefs? Was that the same year as Don Tari Poe? Or is that a different prior year? Oh, are you talking uh, Aaron Curry? Yes, Aaron Curry. I, I thought that was the name. What year was that? That was the – I think that was the Tyson Jackson draft. Oh, uh, was it? Neither yeah. guy worked out, but yeah. – Yeah, got me both thinking. of those were terrible. Yeah, but... One guy had no athleticism and all the production. It was not awful. The other guy was a freak athlete and still terrible. It just worked out that great for everybody in that draft. Well, hopefully in this draft – if it's an edge, like, you know, you end up, or a defensive line, you end up with the Dontari Poe version where he had a career high two sacks in college in any given year and he gets to the NFL and his, you know, second and third year starting with the Kansas City Chiefs gets a total of 10 and a half sacks in those two years from a nose tackle position and a 3-4 defense. Now to wrap things up, we wanted to circle back both to a point we had talked about earlier this podcast about how far do you trade back Jamie, I was amazed. I was really happy you brought that up because it kind of ties into what we're going to talk about here. Based on, you know, we kind of just settled on, so based on who's available, what do you think you can get later? And also circle back to our conversation from last week where we covered tackles in, in uh, who, who would you feel comfortable with the Chiefs taking at 31? And we went real hard in the paint on tackles just because that was obviously the most pressing position of need for the Chiefs by far. But to try and make everybody feel better in the event that the Chiefs do the unspeakable and draft Peyton Turner and Sam's head explodes and he rips down his house and, you know, tears up the entire of Springfield, Missouri. Just... Hey, Peyton Turner plays in the AAC. Oh, in conference. so if, if we take him, I'm OK. OK, so we're fine. So he's, he's fine. <laughs> so as long as it's not an SEC defensive lineman in Springfield, you guys are safe. If an SEC defensive lineman goes to the Chiefs at 31, everyone needs to evacuate as though it's a national emergency and FEMA needs to be called immediately. Just to try to help you guys feel better, in the event the Chiefs do draft somebody who is not a tackle at 31, or even if they were to trade back and take a different position, you know, Jabril Cox is another player who's projected to go anywhere from, uh, you know, late or early 30s to the, the early 50s in, in the second round. So... To try and help you guys feel better, we wanted to go over some guys that maybe the Chiefs could get in the later parts of the draft and still be effective players, even if it's not right away, but maybe guys that you can rely on to be a starting left tackle down the road. Sam, I'll come back to you here first on this one. Who's a guy that you feel comfortable with in the event that the Chiefs don't take a tackle at 31? Their first pick goes to a different position. Is, is there a guy that you could look at and go, okay, I feel like that guy could be it, even though he's not a first-round pick. I don't, I don't necessarily have a specific name. And the reason for this is maybe, maybe I fell into the, pit, uh, the pitfall of, of looking at the draft analyst mock drafts, of looking at all of the professionals, because that's with the tackles, there is not a single consensus view on where these guys are going. Because I've seen some where guys we've talked about, like Cosme, is going in like the 20s. And then I've also seen some where we can get him in the second round. And so it's, I, I guess, without being able to really understand 
and be a draft analyst and being the guys that the scout that goes out and really breaks down these guys. I, I don't know exactly how they fall out because again, based off your draft guide, Sean, you're looking at guys like uh, Eichenberg. They've got him listed as the sixth potential best prospect. And as we've said, we've seen, I've seen him in mock drafts falling all the way down into the mid second round. I've seen guys like Dylan Renduz or uh, Randu, I cannot say Renduns, I can't say his name, whatever, I'm sorry, um, from North Dakota State going all the way up around like 20. So it, it's such a, I, I'm not going to answer the question as far as if what guy, but I am comfortable with getting guys in the second round to potentially be a starting left tackle and even in the third. And the reason for that is, again, I feel like this is another very deep position where maybe you're not getting elite production immediately, but I think there is a lot of developmental prog or prospects within this draft that could lead into playing time later on down the road. That's kind of what I got out of last week when we actually went over tackles was I wasn't super impressed with anybody that would be available at 31. And so I had already kind of relegated myself to thinking, well, we're going to get a guy in the second and kind of go from there. And I was pretty comfortable with that. I mean, it's never comfortable. You want to, you want a cornerstone left tackle. Everyone does. I don't think that's realistic for us unless we're able to sign an aging veteran that can at least fill that role. But a lot of these guys that, that are within that, I would say outside of Derrishaw, Derrishaw down, maybe Jenkins down. They could literally go anywhere from the 15th pick to the third round, I think. And it, I think they all have a lot of potential that could develop into high quality starting in the NFL. Jacob, what about you? I, I think Sam makes some valid points about the range of that guy's even that we talked about last week is, you know, feeling comfortable going at 31 could end up being second, third round picks. It's a valid point. Is there a guy that you look at specifically as, okay, if that guy falls, I would feel really good about him being available or a guy that, you know, I think would be available in the third round that maybe we didn't talk about. First off, sounds like a pretty lazy take from Sam and he didn't do his research <laughs> on it, other tackles. Uh, but uh, Dare Shot Down sounds like the next movie The Rock's going to be in about a submarine that is, <laughs> has a leak in Dare Shot Down. I'll see it. If it has The Rock in it, you know what? I'll give it a shot. We I'll still enjoy will. We all will. Don't forget, we sat through in a theater through Hercules together. <laughs> and I still haven't been able to say no to any Rock movie. If The Rock's in it, I'll see it. But uh, one name that actually got brought up by Seth Kaiser this week on his Twitter was a guy from Northern Iowa, Spencer Brown, who tested at elite levels athleticism wise. And I was like, you know what? That does make some kind of sense because Brett Beach always ends up, seems like he always ends up fine, falling in love with somebody that nobody's talking about and taking them way higher than anyone has talked about. And I could see him doing something like that. Now, when you look at him, the, the fear is if you look at him, he looks just like the Jordan Smith UAB guy for an offensive tackle. Very tall, very thin looking, but seems to, but for him, it doesn't seem to hinder him that much. One comp for him, and this would be obviously if things went well, as most comps are like, this guy is definitely this guy. But 
he's like a Nate soldier type guy where it's, you know, very tall guy. So this guy is six, nine, Nate soldier was six, eight. They're about the same weight. This guy actually tested better in the bench press than soldier did. And soldier was, you know, a big athlete. Both guys were recruited to play tight end in college and end up switching to tackle. So I think that's one guy just to kind of be interested in and think about that could end up being one of those. Wow. We didn't expect this guy to go this high in the draft, whether that's high second or low first, we'll see. There's always somebody. That's a good one. He's, he's one whose name I'd seen. I think probably that same tweet about from Seth about, about him. And I went back and looked, I'm like, Oh dang, he did test out the gym. Like he's that's impressive. Especially for a guy, his size, the, uh, the guy that I picked is also a massive tackle. Didn't test quite the level that Spencer Brown did, but, my guy is Stone Forsyth out of Florida. First of all, his name is Stone Forsyth. That was my comment. I was like, I know nothing about him, but I'm oh. excited. He's a good player. Put him at left tackle and just, I dare you to get through someone whose name is Stone. Like, that's amazing. It's um, almost as good as Will Shields, but. Yeah, it's not quite the same, but it's, it's close. It's in the same ballpark. You're like that next tier down on, on offensive line names. Uh, the part about him I liked, I mean, obviously he is another one who's huge. He's 6'8", 307 is when he came in his pro day. But the part that I liked about him is he did have prototypical left tackle arms. And these are 34 and 3'8 inches. Like he actually has long arms. So the ability to keep guys off him is going to be a little bit easier than maybe some of these other tackles that, again, it's a, it's a concern that the talk that's going on is like none of these tackles really have the longest arms. They're not prototypically sized which again, to Sam's point is why a lot of them just the range is crazy. I saw one, Sam, to your point the other day where Alex Leatherwood is being talked about now as a potential second round pick because people are wondering, you know, even though he has prototypical length, is he going to end up being a guard? And, and he's only really played tackle for the one year. And they're already putting him in at guard. So for me, Stone's length, his size, all of that screams left tackle. Um, the biggest thing is just that he's so big, the, the explosion tends to fade as time goes on throughout the game. Uh, the feet aren't quite as quick. He's not, when I've watched his film, it, it just, he didn't maul people the way that I wanted him to at that. Sean, are, are you saying his feet are made of stone? Uh, oh man. He's got stone feet. I'm so upset with myself right now. <laughs> Walked right into that one. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying, Jacob. His feet are made of stone. He's yeah. He just he didn't maul people. His 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 testing numbers were solid, but it didn't it didn't jump at me. My thought is, if you get him to an NFL weight room with NFL coaching, maybe that starts to change. You know, Florida is obviously a tremendously big and well known school. I'm sure they probably have top notch facilities, but again, it's the NFL. So for me, I think, especially if they do end up signing a, a Russell Okung or an Alejandro Villanueva type to play left tackle for one year, or to your point last week, Sam, Eric Fisher for one more year, Stone is the guy that I think would maybe benefit most from a redshirt season, uh, being in like a third round, third or fourth round pick, but could have exponential benefits down the road if you're willing to let him get a year of NFL seasoning. I just want to say one more reason as well that you might think Spencer Brown makes some sense is the name you just mentioned, Eric Fisher, small school guy, good athlete. So right. it fits that again, if we're using chief's history. My, my only worry, and 
this callback to the last conversation we just had about athleticism over production, where I don't think defensive line, I think athleticism can get you by. I don't think that's the same for offensive line in the NFL. The offensive line, the problem with looking at guys and, and not sitting there and breaking down hours and hours of game film, understanding exactly how their technique looks, you can look at a guy that's 6'8", 300 pounds plus, and say, man, he must be a good offensive lineman. And he's going to be terrible, potentially, because there's such a technique aspect that goes into offensive line over defensive line that it that's where it really starts to play in. And I think drafting guys, and, and I, I didn't look at Stone Forsyth or uh, whatever your guy na- name was, Jacob. It doesn't Stone matter because Stone Forsyth is the, the yeah. one to go. But but they're without knowing what kind of technique I would rather if if I was going to take a guy like that that falls down and I really wanted to break down I would rather look at the guy that this guy is technically amazing and maybe not a physical athlete because that's where you can you can train athleticism when it comes to strength because when they get in the NFL weight room they can get bigger and they can get stronger. But technique on offensive line is a lot more difficult to develop. And we've seen that with different offensive linemen. I think that will be a big part of Lucas Niang to see is how has he developed? Has he developed into having a good kick step, being able to get into a chair and, and handle speed rushers? Because he, we all know he has all the physical tools to be a good offensive tackle. And that's where it's going to come in. So I think this is a harder conversation than looking at court. Like if we wanted to have this conversation about cornerback, I think we could all go in and be like, all right, this guy runs a 4-240. I'm going to put him in a cornerback because he's going to run everyone down to the ground regardless if he gets burned or not. But tackle, there's no there's no combine numbers really that look at how good an offensive tackle is going to be because bench press doesn't mean a whole lot. That means they're strong, but it doesn't mean that they know how to block. So this is a harder conversation in reality than – I think just looking at a guy's numbers or looking at a guy's name. Speaking of which, is is Stone Forsythe the best name in this draft? For position, gotta, yes. Yeah. Position by position, I think so. I haven't it's seen pretty, one better. Pretty, I was I was looking through offensive tackles just because I have it up. I really like Alric Jackson, not because it sounds like an off. It, Alric just sounds like a badass. Like he just sounds like he would be like it looks like a guy that just got pulled out of the medieval. Knight <laughs> is now playing offensive line. So, Sam, what I hear you saying is you need to go watch this Spencer Brown. He's kind of fun to watch beat up on small school guys. I'll I'll, I'll go and watch him and see if see if I. Think and I don't. Neither of us need to go watch Stone Forsythe. We already know just the name. I will say to your point, Sam, because you make a really good point about differences of athletes trying to play a technical position versus technical guys trying to play a position that needs athleticism. Offensive line does need technique. The reason I think I like Stone so much is because he he's a really big guy, but he doesn't he doesn't allow guys he doesn't swallow up guys as they try to as they rush whether it's a bull rush speed rush he's always able to keep them at the end of his arms. He creates space, and so even if he even if they're he, the guy across from him is quicker, they're faster. He's able to kind of usher them around the edge. My biggest problem is, is that, again, he's not a mauler, uh, doesn't, doesn't blow people up in the run game, 
and he he just doesn't he kind of fades and so I to me if you can get him in an NFL weight room and get him conditioned to where he's consistent throughout all four quarters I think his his ability translates in the passing game so where whereas I wish he was more of a mauler at times for me the most important thing is protecting Patrick Mahomes and I think that fourth side's ability to keep rushers at the end of his arms and create space and die. And as, as they say, die that slow death as guys try to come around the edge makes me excited about him. I think that's why I picked him. Cause I do think, yes, he has the size and, and I do see the technique there at, in, at, for what I am able to evaluate as a guy who didn't play football, but I do think he just needs some serious, some actual NFL training in a weight room. And with Sean's foresight into that, he has had made his stone cold pick for the Chiefs <laughs> second round. <laughs> End of podcast. We can't do better than that, folks. We're going to call it on that note. Jacob just ushered us out. Really appreciate you guys sticking with us. We're going to keep these conversations going all the way up to the draft. We're uh, going to hope to do something uh, on draft night, but we may have a, a new member of the uh, Jacob Allen family coming in. So we'll see how that happens. Uh, if that happens, how it can happen. We'll keep you posted until then you guys stay safe out there and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.